0: TubeCityOnline.com. This is Two Rivers Thirty Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the Sport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the executive director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monyonk area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. We are coming up on uh, November 10th, which is the birthday of the U.S. Marine Corps. And um, our guest this morning is going to talk to us a little bit about the history of women in the Marine Corps. Uh, It goes back further than you may think, but. Also, a lot of the progress is more recent than you may think, especially for younger uh, people. Colonel Nancy Anderson uh, is our guest this morning. She is the author of The Very Few, The Proud, uh, Women in the Marine Corps, 1977 to 2001. Uh, Good morning.
1: Good morning. Thank you for having me, Jason.
0: Thank you for uh, coming in. Um, First of all, the the period in, in your book is 1977 to 2001. Why are those two years significant in the history, well, they're in the history of the United States, but also in the history, particularly of the Marine Corps.
1: Well, the history of the Marine Corps, they're significant for two reasons. The, the easier explanation is that um, in 1977, Each of the services were no no longer required to have a single director of women in that service, which from 1948 until 1977 was the case. Um, Women had separate administrative companies. They were billeted separately. And the Secretary of Defense said uh, there's enough redundancy, and so – the last director of Women Marines, uh, Colonel Margaret Brewer, wanted to preserve that history. So she actually brought a Marine Reservist, Colonel Mary Stremlo, back on active duty to write the history of women in the Marine Corps from 1946 until 1977. The global war on terror began in 2002, which is also the year that I retired. And so to me, it seemed um, a a good use of volunteer time to sort of update the history from that period between 1977 and 2001 to, to the start of the global war on terror. And so that's why I did it for the Marine Corps, again, also from the Marine Corps History Division.
0: Your book is getting, by the way, uh, very good reviews. Um, I've seen it reviewed in a bunch of places. Is it in print or online or both?
1: It's both. And the book is free, as are all of the publications from the Marine Corps History Division. So
0: how does um, one, I see a couple of our local libraries have it, but how does one get a copy?
1: Uh, by contacting the Marine Corps History Division.
0: Okay um and i can give i can look up the uh website address and we'll put that on our webpage for people but they can get it for free.
1: They can get it for free and they also most of the publications are now also in digital form if they prefer ebooks.
0: So if they know someone who maybe is a veteran especially of the core and christmas is coming, hanukkah's coming uh, and it's a great easter's coming, gift, yes. it's, <laughs> it's it'd be a nice gift for 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 somebody especially um, someone interested in women's history, talk to me a little bit about your history. uh Grew up in Western Pennsylvania, or
1: no? I'm a Virginian. Actually, my okay. father, my father was also Marine. Okay, uh, he started out on Iwo Jima, Korea, Vietnam. Yeah. So I was actually born at Quantico, Virginia, crossroads of the Corps. Um, military or, brat, I think I heard you say brat. off the air. Yes, my mother was a civilian. Okay, but, uh, so I, I had that mindset. Of course, back in the in the early fifties and early, well, the, through the fifties, um, nothing, not much was going on in the world, if you can imagine. And so, <laughs> so. To save money, the military you weren't transferred that often. You know, not as uh, you know. Once Vietnam came, you, you saw a lot more shuffling. Yeah. But we we only moved three or four times during my dad's twenty six and a half year career. And so I was born at Quantico. I actually went to kindergarten at Quantico and actually graduated from Quantico High School as we bounced back and forth between Quantico, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and Hawaii, which was a great tour.
0: Okay, okay. And and so it I don't want to say it was the family business, but you've, <laughs> you grew up around the Corps, your dad being a Marine as well.
1: Yes, my dad was an enlisted Marine. Did you
0: ever have any thoughts of doing anything but –
1: Oh enlisting. I, actually I was not I was actually going to be a sister of mercy okay. um but my I was a I just finished my freshman year at Virginia Tech and my father passed away when I was 19 years old of uh, malignant melanoma mm. and I'm the oldest of four I'm 10 and a half years older than my my youngest my youngest sister and when you although my father had retired 10 months before he passed away your retirement pay ends when when the the, the service member dies so my mother uh, was on Social Security. So I, I was at Virginia Tech and my plan was to be a, a, a high school science teacher. Mm-hmm. I was studying in that direction. And I thought, well, you know, that's probably not going to ha- – I wanted to help my mother. That's probably not going to be uh, bringing a lot of money even though it was something I, would, I knew I would enjoy. And remember back in the 60s, women were making only about 67 cents to the dollar for men. It's improved a a little little bit bit bit. since then. But so I actually – I started looking at the military because the military was equal pay for equal work. And I examined all the services. And for me, the Marine Corps, because it's so much smaller than the other services, you actually – take on a great deal of responsibility at a very early rank, both enlisted rank and officer rank. Uh, for example, in, at your enlisted rank, you've finished your complete recruit training and you're a private. The next rank is private first class. Well, mm-hmm. private first class is a fire team leader and so actually has responsibility for three Marines under him or her. So responsibility training starts at a very early Age, both for officers and enlisted in the Marine Corps, and then that certainly appealed to me. And just a travel junkies, so the thought of being able to, <laughs> to, to travel around the world to see the world as they all advertised was appealing as well.
0: Uh, uh, Retired uh, Marine Corps Colonel uh, Nancy Anderson is our guest this morning. She is the author of The Very Few, The Proud Women in the Marine Corps, 1977 to 2001. Uh, We will give you some information on how you can get a copy of that book for free. Um, The Marine Corps birthday coming up on November 10th, and then uh, Hanukkah and Christmas coming up after that, Veterans Day, uh, November 11th. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the history of— the Marine Corps and women in it overall, there is some speculation. In fact, I think there's a street at Quantico, isn't there, that's named after a woman who supposedly was the first Marine?
1: That street, actually, it's at Camp, um, Jacksonville, North Carolina. Camp, oh, it's in North Carolina. It's in Lugin. Lugin. Yeah. Camp Lejeune. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, Lucy
1: Brewer. Um, well, actually, we have a couple of streets named after. Is one. that a
0: docu- documented that she actually was a sharpshooter in the Marines in the 1815, 1816 era, or is that... No. Okay.
1: Well, well, but apocryphal. The, well it's probably apocryphal but of course back when we're talking revolutionary war as opposed to later mm. wars uh, you always had camp followers so there were there were women um who followed all through the revolutionary war and and beyond that was something that was was taken for granted. And so the, the story and, and this part is true that when her husband fell, you know, she just was, was there and was able to, to fight. But uh, that was before the Marines were founded. <laughs> it's, um,
0: it, 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 it seems to be, um, and this, this is predates the history in your book, but it, it seems to me that um, the, the, the all of the branches of the service, but we'll focus on the Marine Corps since that's what your book is focused on, they discover um, how brave and hardworking women are every time there's a war. And they – especially when they need people stateside. And then as soon as the war is over, suddenly women are no longer able to serve and they – Get shunted aside. It seems like that was the pattern
1: oh, absolutely. throughout history. In fact, um, even the, the most recent incidents was, um, although women served in it, so many, in hundreds of fields, literally, we had 350,000 women who served on active duty during the Second World War. And they were flying airplanes, they were driving trucks, they were you know, in their dungarees doing all kinds of work. Um, but after the war, until actually about 1965, 1966, the mindset was we're at peace. A woman's place is in the home, you know, beaver, you know, Joan Cleaver wearing pearls in and in in an apron making supper. And um, women initially felt, you know, that that's that was good enough for them. But what really triggered the change, and this was in 1972, uh, well, two things. First, the Congress passed the Equal Rights Amendment in March of 1972 and uh, the Senate on the road to ratification and the Pentagon uh, leadership. Really felt that the sufficient number of states would ratify it, which which failed to be the Didn't case. Happen, yeah. But that changed the mindset. But the other thing was in June of 1972, Title IX of the Education Assistance Act was passed, which required equal access of girls and women to sports. And you know that might sound hard, but until then. Um, Women just were not part. They were very limited in the sports they could play. They were basically intramural teams. They were not official teams. And I'm a little five foot two shrimp. (laughs) But I actually lettered in basketball in high school because I was a guard. I could dribble three times, go half court and look menacing. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and that's, that's how, and, you know you, it was you played girly things but with the passage of Title IX um, boys and girls sort of playing they watch each other playing soccer together sweating together competing together and this also created a, a group of, of if you could imagine of stronger women because before then women had no reason to run they had one of the things we learned at recruit training and officer candidate training during the period of time is women tended to suffer numerous orthopedic injuries because they'd never jumped from a height they didn't realize you bend your knees and you lift forward they just jumped up and down they because it wasn't part of their growing right. up so as with the passage of title 9 um, boys and girls are playing sports and and as importantly boys are watching girls compete so when women chose to enter any of those services they've they, they weren't laughed at for running. They weren't laughed at for competing because, the you know, the young men who were going through the same kinds of training had watched them grow up, you know, playing soccer and baseball and softball and all those other things, running track.
0: And conditioning and everything exactly. else has gotten better, too.
1: Which, of course, made the women stronger and made them feel better about themselves. So that was that was key.
0: Uh, retired Colonel uh, Nancy Anderson is our guest this morning we are talking about the history of women in the Marine Corps in particular about her uh, book which came out last year
1: that's correct uh, actually for the centennial of women in the Marine Corps okay yeah well uh-huh. women were first author- authorized in all the services as volunteers strictly as volunteers at the end of the Great War and that included uh, 305 feet of uh, Marinettes, well, women Marines who perform just administrative duties and all the women in the Mar- services. Mar-
0: Marinettes, they Marinettes, call them. Marinettes, yes. Oh, boy. Uh, the book is called The Very Few, The Proud Women in the Marine Corps, 1977 to 2001. You can get a copy actually uh, online by going to us mcu.edu click on the publishing link Uh, you can either download it or you can request a print copy you can also get it uh, from a lot of the local libraries around the mon valley area you are tuned to two rivers 30 minutes broadcasting from the tube city center for business and innovation in downtown mckeesport we'll be right back you're listening to two rivers 30 minutes a production of tube city community media incorporated if you've got an idea for someone who you'd like us to interview or a question or comment, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. Welcome back. Our guest this morning is Nancy Anderson. She's a retired colonel from the United States Marine Corps. She's the author of the new book, The Very Few, the Proud Women in the Marine Corps, 1977 to 2001. Was there pressure from within? Was there pressure from within the Corps and from within the different branches of the services to? hey, we need to give women a bigger role?
1: There was more pressure from the Secretary of Defense, and okay. also, um, frankly, from the Navy and the Army. They, uh, ahead of 1948, when the, the Women's Integration Act was was signed into law by um, President Harry Truman, they had already maintained uh, retained women as part of their, their active duty forces. The Marine Corps really dragged its foot. And okay. you know, this is by, by law, this 1948 law, um, Set a two percent limit on the number of women that could be in any service the ring, the Marine Corps used one percent and of that that two percent or one percent um no more than ten percent of, of those women could be officers and so by law they were, their their numbers were restricted and also women could not hold rank above a permanent rank of officers above the grade of o five either lieutenant colonel in the army the newly formed air force or the the, the Marine Corps, of course, Mm -hmm. or um, commander in the Navy. And a single woman from each service was appointed Colonel 06 or captain in the Navy um, and became the director of women in that service. So by law, even though the the Women's Integration Act was intended to give women more equal footing, it actually um, provided legal gender segregation by the pulling women back and saying, you know, well, for example, a woman had to ha- be a high school graduate. She had to score much higher on the entry tests than, than men did. And um, she couldn't well, – if she became pregnant, she was immediately discharged. She, even if she adopted a child, there were a number of restrictions. That it reminds me of,
0: of two quotes, one being from uh, Ginger Rogers supposedly said that she had to do everything Fred Astaire did, but backwards and in heels.
1: Exactly. And
0: Condoleezza Rice um, said that I think her father told her that she had to be twice as good. As the next person, if she is a black woman, if she wanted yeah, to be considered for half anything, half as
1: good. Actually, that that's a very common thing. Yeah. You work twice as hard to be considered half as good. But um, what what happened is, uh, the, 1973, the draft ends, and all and women have always been an all volunteer force. And so, not only did the draft end in 73. But um, the job market, the economy improves. And so young men are leaving the military in droves. Officers and enlisted pilots are going. And the realization was that here you had a pool of of very smart women. Men didn't have to be high school graduates. Men didn't have to score nearly as high on their intrigue tests. And so you had a pool of, of talented women. So the Army and the Marine Corps started testing Percentages of women in field units, both in Europe and uh, well, the Corner of Kanawa, the army in the U.S. and in Europe, to see how what percentage of women a small unit could maintain without any degradation to the unit mission. And the center of a gun, the more women, the better the unit was able to meet its mission. Women were as they say, tended to be smarter; they tended not to be disciplinary problems, and so. Once that was was shown, then the services became a little more open to the – and also men were leaving uh, the military in in larger numbers, that there were more and more billets that women could fill.
0: Tell me about an incident that happened. Uh, Marines have traditionally guarded U.S. embassies. Tell me about an incident that happened, I think, in 1979 in Pakistan. In Pakistan. Yes, yeah. there
1: happened to be. Uh, the Marine Corps had just tested using women as Marine security guards, and there happened to be two female Marines in Pakistan. And uh, when when hundreds of Pakistanis attacked the U.S. embassy there, and so they they did exactly what they were supposed to do but uh, and performed very well. But, again, the mindset, you know, Back in the, still in the sixties and seventies was that. But this we, is the,
0: I'm sorry to interrupt uh, you, Colonel, okay. for just a second. But that's yeah. only forty years ago, right? That's my life. That's within my lifetime. That's within yes, a lot is. of the listeners' lifetimes. This is this is not you know ancient history. This is you know the Jimmy Carter administration.
1: Well, but the, the rule the, again by Title X, women could not be put into harm's way. Uh-huh. But after this, um, more and after the testing with the, by the especially the Army and the Marine Corps, and the fact that the world was becoming a more dangerous place, two things mm-hmm. happened. First. Um, uh, in nineteen seventy eight a risk rule the Secretary of defense de- defined risk as are, as being being put in literally in harm's way, mm-hmm. and so that opened up a lot more billets because it meant that women in the services could fly airplanes as long as they weren't combat aircraft. of course, mm-hmm. the Marine Corps considered all of its aircraft as combat aircraft, mm-hmm. but the other thing that really changed was. Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and here with Desert Shield, if you remember, you had a very long lead up, uh, which was the Desert Shield portion before the actual combat uh, started in January of 1991. You had 40,000 women who were part of Desert Shield Desert Storm, mostly because of very large numbers of women in the health services, in supply and communications and intelligence. And also during Desert Shield Desert Storm, it was real time in your face, CNN. So men and women of the American public saw men and women in the military – working very equally together, you know, side by side. You, they're, they're, the distinction was blurred between combat support, and combat service support. But more as important, especially being here um, in southwestern Pennsylvania, if you remember the 14th Quartermaster very Corps well.
0: from yeah. Greensburg, mm-hmm.
1: Pennsylvania, which is where I now live, they had been in Saudi Arabia over 200 miles below the battle line, that you call the Ford line of troops. They had been in country six days. They were eating supper in their mm-hmm. metal um, mess unit when a Scud missile flew that 225 or whatever miles and killed 13 of those soldiers. So th- so increasingly, you couldn't tell where the battle right. area was. Right. And the American, once the American public realized that first, um, that, that serving in the military was uh, was a dangerous job, they also realized that it's dangerous. The loss of a man is every bit as serious as the loss of a woman. Mm-hmm. Women are not special. Mm-hmm. And once the American public realized that it became a matter of how strong is a woman? No. How strong does a woman or a man need to be to perform a job? So yeah. that's when suddenly the best person for the job became the mindset of, of, of the American public. And when um, President when uh, President Bush lost the election uh, to Bill Clinton and. He was Clinton was inaugurated the next year with a Democrat-controlled Congress. The mindset was also that the Congress and the president would probably be a little bit more open to expanding jobs for women, and that was certainly the case.
0: We, we have unfortunately another break to take. The time goes quickly. Um, when we come back, uh, I want to uh, talk a little bit about some of your own personal pioneering uh, in the Marine Corps, and um, also talk about there seems to be there be some parallels um, between the integration of the genders in the Marine Corps. And the integration of the races because you mentioned 1948 that was a watershed year um with truman signing those orders so when we come back okay Perfect. Uh, Colonel Nancy Anderson is retired from the U.S. Marine Corps, although we also want to talk about a little bit you. For someone who's retired, you're awfully busy. Um, You seem to be uh, everywhere in Westmoreland County. She is the author of the new book, The Very Few, (laughs) The Proud, Women in the Marine Corps, 1977-2001. You can get a free copy from Marine Corps University by going to the website usmcu.edu. You can also request it uh, from your local library. You are listening to Two Rivers, 30 Minutes, broadcasting next to the train track as always, from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport. We'll be back in 30 seconds to wrap things up. You're listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a production of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. You know, we're looking for help in getting this show on the air and for help with other projects. If you're interested in the McKeesport area and you'd like to host a program or write articles for the website, call us. At 412 614 9659 or email Tube City Tiger at gmail.com. Welcome back. Our guest for a few more minutes is uh, Colonel Nancy Anderson. She is the author of the book, The Very Few, The Proud, Women in the Marine Corps, 1977-2001. to 2001. You have done a number of talks at uh, some of the local libraries and historical societies. Do you have any more talks coming up uh, in the near future?
1: Yes, actually. Um, last one was, was yesterday at the Lincoln Valley Library, and it'll be at the Delmont Library at, uh, let's see, 10 a.m. on Saturday, the 9th of okay. November, the day before the Marine Corps birthday. So
0: November 9th, uh, Delmont, for listeners out in the Murraysville uh, Delmont uh, Penn Township area um, 10 a.m. that's <laughs> correct at the at the Delmont library um, when we took the break I, I brought up a couple of things one being that uh, President Truman you said in 1948 signed an order it, 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 supposedly integrating women into the services it, it strikes me I was just actually just listening to a podcast about the Port Chicago disaster and it, it was one of the sort of watershed events that led to the services being integrated because african-american Sailors and soldiers said they weren't going to put up with this unequal treatment anymore. They weren't going to go fight uh, overseas to come home to be treated (laughs) as less than equal. Uh, Are there parallels in how women uh, perceive the same thing, that we're not going to fight and then be treated and perceived as less than equal?
1: Well, yes, that, the, in fact, that's what I had mentioned that we're, we're women are a minority, and yeah. uh, as are uh, except people that of color. except that they're
0: not, as people often will say, women are fifty one percent of the population. Of the population,
1: yeah, minority in the military, in services. the military,
0: and in, in leadership roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, some of the same fights. I mean, it seems to me it's almost some of the same. Arguments. Well, you know, what will we do about bathrooms? What will we do about upper body strength? What will we do about training? What will we do about education? Uh, you point out in your book that women kind of had to prove themselves... As we said before we took that second break, you know, you had to be twice as good to be perceived as half as good. Um, Men did not need a high school diploma. Women needed to be high school graduates. Men did not have to do. Let me ask you, we were touched on your personal story a little bit earlier in the half hour. Why did you decide then to enlist in an era when all the branches of the services had really been beat up? Uh, by Vietnam. Um, There was a lot of perception that, you know, people were trying to get out of serving, not going into, but you were drawn to. Was it Solely your your the growing up on Quantico and growing up around Marines, or
1: no? It was a, a chance of just a desire to give back. Yeah. If even having retired in two thousand and two, although I retired sooner than I wanted to, I was to care for my mother in law for mm-hmm. twelve years, and when when you're a, a care of twenty four seven care provider, you you need an outlet. So that's when I became actually a community volunteer because um, you you I just needed a two hour three hour break every day or almost every day just. For myself,
0: but as a volunteer, you have served as, I believe, interim executive director of the Westmoreland Cultural Trust.
1: I was paid for that, but yes, but I volunteered. Yeah, that was it doesn't seem much, <laughs> much of a retirement. No, that was I. They asked me to to, to come on board for okay. six months, which was wonderful. Uh-huh. But no, I volunteer about thirty five hours a week at different, uh, with the Westmoreland Hospital or church. The- so t-
0: talk a little bit about your uh, experience. You entered uh-huh. the Corps in nineteen seventy two.
1: Yes, I um, okay. as, as I was a, a I attended Virginia Tech and um, chose the Corps. My father had passed mm-hmm. away, so I was looking for equal pay, equal work, which is the military provides. Chose the Marine Corps and was lucky enough to be the honor graduate. Uh, back then, until 1977, women and, and men, both recruits and officer candidates, trained separately. So I was an honor graduate of the Women Officer Candidate course at Quantico, Virginia. And that was the first year that women in the service when ROTC units were Mm -hmm. open for women. And although I wasn't in it. We didn't have Marine Corps ROTC. I was actually, I won a stipend uh, for having been the honor graduate for my last year in college, and then went from there to women officer basic school. Again, we were co-located with the men at the basic school. But the board
0: did not train with the men.
1: We, uh, that's correct. The training didn't really get Uh, start paralleling that didn't parallel the men until about until january of 1977
0: how different how different was it if i can interrupt for a second
1: it was very different for all the services until that until 1977 um again i've mentioned that that pullback from korea until about 1972 when women were actually pulled out of the fields they were put in in jobs that were considered more feminine and so we had makeup classes our graduation (laughs) at with recruit training was a T. And so you learn how to enter a car, you know, but first. <laughs> and it was it was silly. And even McNamara went so far as to put all the, the women in each of the services in the same summer uniform, identical uh, um, what we call utilities, which was a worthless pair of cotton slacks and a, and a cotton shirt with, with – leather um, oxfords but the summer uniform for each of the women was a seersucker top and skirt Um, for the army and the marine corps the, the little pinstripe was green and for the navy and the air force the little pinstripe was blue but again just to save money So, I mean, little things like that. And it wasn't until 77 when the Marine Corps decided to gender-integrate officer and uh, officer-candidate training. Um, The Marine Corps is the only service that has not gender-integrated recruit training. It's still separate. I I,
0: I think, and and we're running short on time, but I I think, and I don't think I read it in your book, but I think I read it in in somewhere else preparing for this, that they actually prescribed what color lipstick women Marines were supposed to wear.
1: Montezuma Red. (laughs) had to match the red red, red, red piping. Yeah, the red piping. Montezuma (laughs) Red.
0: So so, but we haven 't really talked about the fact that you were the first, uh, and I have it uh, bookmarked here the the first platoon commander at OCS at Quantico
1: when we gender integrated, actually I took the first three platoons the first three gender integrated platoons through one thousand nine hundred and seventy 1978. and what I did um, because the training was so different, <clears throat> excuse me, I asked the commanding officer of Officer Candidate School, Colonel Frank Cothy, if I could be an assistant platoon commander for an all male platoon. So I could literally learn the ropes you know, the running I, because uh, – and he also said, okay, but – good man that he was. He said, okay, but here all my Marines take the same physical fitness test. So all of a sudden I had to run three miles. I had to do pull-ups. Yeah. Um, the running was not hard, but uh, pull-ups and I don't get along, although I've learned to do –
0: <laughs> Pull-ups and nobody get along.
1: <clears throat> but luckily I was there for um, – I, so I was an assistant platoon commander for about two and a half or three weeks before my female platoon kicked it. And I really learned a lot. And the, and the men learned a lot as well just having a woman there
0: is there a, are, are there differing command styles for for women and men in the marine the marines that you've noticed
1: no but um i think in all the services women just bring certain strengths to the table that men do um we tend to listen um well in fact even with with training the the that the comments from instructors were well for the rifle range, for example, um, women when we were for, women unless they were first allowed to use to shoot the surface rifle, was the M sixteen H two at the time in nineteen eighty five, the thought was that the women would probably be afraid of the weapon. They'd have a, maybe a forty percent qualification rate. Well, it was ninety seven point eight percent qualification rate, just like the men. And the comment was, well, two things. First, the women didn't have their own John Wayne way of, of standing with the weapon. They actually paid attention. They did what they were told. In fact, with a recruit, uh, Anita Lobo, in that first series to fire, actually set a range record. She fired 246 out of 250 points, and that record stood for decades. It was only recently beaten, but She fired right-handed, even though she was left-handed and left-eye dominant, because she She thought she had to fire (laughs) right-handed. Oh,
0: for goodness sake. Uh, Colonel Nancy Anderson is going to be at the Delmont Library November 9th at uh, 10 a.m. to talk about her new book, The Very Few, The Proud Women in the Marine Corps, 1977-2001. It's getting very good reviews and has been reviewed extensively, actually, Um, not just in military publications, but I see you being cited all of a sudden in a lot of uh, academic publications so uh very nice and uh, you can get the book for free Uh, it is available as a digital download or print uh, by going to the website of the marine corps university usmcu.edu click on the publishing link and you can get a copy of it from the history division of the marine corps and nancy anderson thank you so much for taking some time to come in and talk with us this morning
1: thank you jason it's absolutely my pleasure